Hey listeners, before we get started, I wanted to share with you a brand new podcast that you might be interested in. It's the new Braves Dugout Podcast. This podcast is about all things Atlanta Braves baseball. They talk about roster moves, potential trades, game recaps. Now this may all seem cliche for a sports podcast, but they also include a special segment each week where they talk about controversial topics using only stats and logic and no bias. Controversial topics such as which Braves player should or should not be in the Hall of Fame, why your favorite player may not be as valuable as you think they are, or how certain players you may not like deserve more love. It's the new Braves Dugout Podcast. You can currently catch this podcast. See what I did there? Catch this podcast on Spotify or on Anchor.fm. It's sure to be a hit. Hello, ladies. Are your armpits smoother than a tapioca pearl? Have you had laser surgery under your arms and are now regretting it? No need to fret. We have a brand new solution for you to get back to that all-natural state. Chia Pick Cream! From the makers of other Chia products comes a cream for your Chia armpits to get back to its original hairy state. Unlike the original Chia items, you don't even need to water your Chia pits. It utilizes your natural body perspiration moisture. If you'd like to speed up the process, you can easily add other bodily fluids to the cream, like saliva or urine. Isn't that incredible? Available now in many hardware and dollar stores in the gardening section. Chia Pit Cream! Product is not intended for consumption or contact with the epidermis. exciting episode of the Above Average Joe Show. As always, I am your host, Joe, and today our special guest has been an actor, a stunt performer, previously has been college football player, and a homicide detective, all those like real jobs. Um, not like in film jobs, but he was an actual homicide detective in real life, played football in college in real life. And has also worked on projects like Stranger Things, Godzilla, King of Monsters, Undercover Brother 2, Fatal Attraction, and Snapped Killer Couples, amongst some other projects. Our guest today is Zach Zadalis. How are you doing, Zach? Good, Joe. How are you doing? I am doing well. Let's go ahead and get started with the first question that I always ask everybody. Zach, how did you get into the film industry? Well, I started in theater as around, around seven years old and worked my way through all the way through grade school. And then I was also heavily involved in athletics where I was fortunate enough to get an athletic scholarship for football to the University of Florida and continued acting back and forth uh, through college. And then after graduating, I actually went on to perform and did two things. I went and worked as a, my stunt performance was with EA Sports. And we did the college football and, and Madden uh, tackling dummy drills up in well, up in Vancouver, Canada, where we were all the show cap work that we did. And then also I went to the WWE for about a year, uh, World uh, Wrestling Entertainment, and was under contract with them for one year in Ohio in Louisville, Kentucky, called Ohio Valley Wrestling. So I, I did that, and then came back 
decided I wanted to serve the community, so I became a law enforcement officer, worked my way up to homicide detective for 12 years, and then uh, SWAT team for 10 years. Oh, wow. And did polygraph examinator for the agency for, uh, for 10 years, and then got out of law enforcement and decided to kind of go back to acting full-time. And uh, luckily for me, my first project really back, uh, actually in TV and film, was Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is where I met you. And it was my uh, first kind of uh, introduction back. And, um, and then from there, we've been able to continue on projects and continue in, in the field. So it's um, it's been a, it's been a long it's been a long journey when I say that, but it, but really it's been short and acting other than theater early in the years. But it's been um, it's been work that's been fun. So I, we can dissect all what I just said. We can dissect all those things. <laughs> uh, but that's how I got. But that's how I got back into film and TV was through. Um, Godzilla King of the Monsters. So how did you hear about Godzilla King of Monsters from living down in Florida? Do they send out notices that far down, or did you have a friend that got you into it? Or You know, I saw, we, you know, we were, um, I think I saw on the internet they were doing uh, for background work for mercenaries uh, for, I think, uh, there was a casting call for that. And it was submitting just pictures. And so, and I believe it was with Capture Casting. So your old agency yep. used to work with, and so we just submitted a picture. And I say we, myself and my fiance, just submitted a picture because she'd been in film and she did GI Jane and she'd been in some things first time selling and she'd done some things in Hollywood and and back and forth. And so um, and we were back and forth between Atlanta and, and Florida, and, and so we submitted a picture. And the next thing we knew, we were you know, we were selected to come up there, and it just it, it was first just as background work, which was you know obviously is needed. Uh, but, you know, I, there was no, I had no uh, thoughts of grandeur on it. I thought, hey, this is a way to kind of get back into it, get back in the set, and just kind of see what's going on and, and see if we can work with things. And then, fortunately for us, um, you know, some of the production, not just casting, but you know, the director kind of liked, I think, liked some of the looks that they saw. And you know, a lot of us got bumped up uh, to kind of um, those featured extra roles. And I think for me, fortunately for me, I think being taller and being bigger uh, helped on that set because of Charles Dance being so tall, being around six five, and, and so I was his height, and so it helped. I was a little shorter than me. He's actually taller than I am, but I think that a lot of the mercenaries that were that were cast uh, for the roles, for the you know, the feature or the main roles, um, they were shorter and they were smaller than than Charles Dance. I think that just I got lucky and was tall enough where I, I fit a build. At least that's my opinion. That I, was able to, that, that I was able to be put in those positions and, and, and kind of, you know, kind of get some work, a little bit more work than, than just the featured extra, and got bumped up to, you know, to a principal role, and was very fortunate. And then backstepping just a few steps before you started, you had mentioned the WWE. I am a little curious on just a little bit of background on your experience in the WWE because I know that we have quite a few people that listen to our podcast that are very heavily into wrestling. So I think this would be some fun information and a cool story. <laughs> well, I was, Ric Flair was a huge Gator fan. So playing for the University of Florida, uh, Ric Flair would always come to our games. And it was uh, my senior year. Uh, I, I, had, I grew a beard and cut like a, like a, a bunch of different designs in my beard. You know, you, you know how you do when you're, you're 22 years old and you, you, know, you think you, you're unstoppable. So I, I, I had this bad look, I guess, and I walked down and Ric Flair saw me after the last game and, and said, hey, do you ever want to wrestle? Let me know. 
I didn't want to go. When I say get a real job, I didn't want to go get a nine to five. I wanted to do something else that was that was more that used athletic ability and, and, and did some things that was were challenging physically, but I still could. And so I contacted Rick Flair, and he was able to get me a tryout with the WWE, and that was in, um, up in Louisville, Kentucky. And the big boss man took me through a workout. And fortunately for me, I was able to to get a contract out of that. But the the unfortunate part for me is that although I was a wrestling fan, loved wrestling, I didn't know how to wrestle. Never wrestled in high school, uh, other than you know you, the play wrestling that you do uh, with you know with, with with everybody. But I didn't know anything about it. And I even though I knew a little bit about the stunt world, I did not know um, I did not know the wrestling world. And and that's a that world is is you know. Either you love it or you hate it. It doesn't matter <laughs> the respect level you the, the respect level you have for those athletes and the people who perform. It, it for me is very high because I get to see it firsthand. So many people there uh, were really really skilled at what they did, and you know, and, and physically you are really trusting the other wrestler, your your partner, to take care of you, and vice versa, take care of them. And I didn't feel comfortable enough, and I know the other wrestlers didn't feel comfortable enough with letting me, with trusting me, because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. And I didn't jump in the ring and just say, oh, I want to do it. I, I was, I've always been kind of a proponent of earn your keep, learn the role, and then eventually it works out. But at that time, I was probably about two years too early, because two years after I stopped, they began to train people. They're, they're actually trained facility here in Orlando. Uh, they trained people uh, to become a wrestler, so they, they took people through and, and taught them moves. And coming from an athletic background, that's what you expect. You expect, hey, we're going to work on this move today, and by the end of the week or by the end of the day, you should have it down enough where you're doing it, you know, you're, you're efficient and you're not going to hurt anybody or hurt yourself. And that's just not the way things were done at that time. They had so many people in, who were fighting for contracts, but also people who would come from different territories who were really good at what they did, and they'd been doing it for years. And they all had different styles, and, and they, but they all kind of knew the business, and I didn't do anything. So, so there was a couple things that went on. There was one that I was very green, but I was also a guy who got a contract, and there was probably a little bit of animosity, like, hey, man, who's this guy? He doesn't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, he's got a good look. Yeah, he's big, but he doesn't even know what he's doing. And here, here's this guy's got a contract. Well, a lot of people at the time didn't have contracts. Uh, not for WWE, they were territory wrestlers who were making money on shows, but they didn't get a contract, so there was no guaranteed money. So I'm sure there was some animosity, and I don't blame them whatsoever. But at the same time, no one was going to help me. Like I, I, we had practice from 12 to 2, and it wasn't like I could stay after practice and, and work with somebody who'd been doing it for 10 years. They were like, uh, no, I'm good, man, you're good. Uh, the, I think the only wrestler who worked with me and, and, and it was Kanye, uh, who's I think he is, he's, uh, he's passed away now. But Canyon worked on me, worked with me, and you know he, he took time to work on me a couple of days and, and to teach me some things. But even him, he was still trying to make it, so he didn't really have time to, to deal with me, to coach me, because he was still trying to make it in the profession. So I just missed out on it about uh, you know if I was a little two years later, it would have worked out really really well and it would have been fine. So I decided to, to step back and, and step away from it because one, I didn't want to get hurt. Cause I saw a lot of injuries, a ton yeah. of injuries. In wrestling, more so than football, and I saw people dislocate their ankles. I saw a guy blow out his elbow, and uh, and I was there. Uh, I was Brock Lesnar just left. Uh, okay. John Cena had just come down to start his persona, so the WWE came in to, to start his persona when he um, he came from Ohio Valley Wrestling, and then he started um, his what his John persona, John Cena persona is now. He just started developing that. Uh, with me, 
you've worked on before the film industry which is football and then wrestling um, both athletic sports and then as the homicide detective what have you taken from both of those two different things and brought into the film industry because I know that you've done sports so a lot of the physicality would be brought into the stunt performer aspect and then if you could also go into working as a homicide detective and then what you did on Snapped Killer Couples was not actually acting per se. So if you want to go into both of those things real quick for us and give us kind of a background and some information on that. Well, the, the athletic side, as far as football is concerned, I was very fortunate to, to get a, a scholarship to University of Florida, and Coach Spurrier was my coach. And I think being in athletics, most, I mean, we did theater, but where I grew up, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of theater. So we had some local theater and we, we did some things. But, you know, when you're when you're an athlete, uh, sometimes I think, you know, you kind of, I don't know how the kids do it today where they can do 10, 15 different things. I, I, I was focused on really trying to, to get go to school and they weren't giving out any theater scholarships. Uh, so, so athletics was my route to go. And for me, being involved in athletics helped me get into school, get a free education, which was fantastic. But also, I think, Really, as an athlete, going through just social social dynamics in general, it helps because you are surrounded by people, all all, all sorts of you know, all different pigmentations of skin, all different backgrounds, all different cultures in athletics, and you all have a common goal. So you're all working for one common goal, and so that was incredible as far as um, and Coach Spurrier, to, to me at least was a very fair, probably one of the most fair bosses I've ever had. The best player played. And when that player messed up, you, the second person behind them got an opportunity, and they stayed in until they messed up. It's pretty fair. I mean, so it didn't matter who was behind you or who you were in front of. If they messed up, you got an opportunity to go in and play. And, and that helped out tremendously as far as being able to, to kind of, you know, you're responsible for yourself. Yeah. You're responsible for being the best player you can be. You know, and you, you can't ask for any more than that, in my opinion. And then, I mean, obviously, the physical, the, you know, the physical part of it was uh, was nice because I mean, when you go, when you grow up and finally have a real job, hopefully, you never have to worry about having to, you know, fight or you know, uh, phys- have physical contact with the person you work with for the rest of your life, which is really nice. Yeah. Like when you go to when you go to work in football, every day you're going to have a physical contact. <laughs> years. 
and she was uh, and she did and she's an attorney uh, and worked for the uh, you know basically for the defense uh, for for you know over twelve years. So she's you know so it's it's kind of in my blood as far as serving, and so I wanted to, I wanted to serve and I wanted to do something, but I also wanted to learn kind of about life, about you know people. I always enjoyed being around people, and so I thought law enforcement was the best background or the best uh, course of action for me. And uh, and so the, so being involved in law enforcement was was great because I I was able to kind of. Um,
through and, and, they, and they go through and they tell these stories, uh, you know, in an hour of these investigations. And so for a couple of those, um, we had a couple of homicides that happened and were, you know, from the agency that I work with. And uh, they were put on the show and they came in and they interviewed us and went through the kind of the back to background the story and, and how it developed and how we investigated it. And when they were, we were interviewed for what, we, what our roles were as detectives in solving the crime. And he was, um, you know, you, you get interviewed, you tell the truth, and you go through it. I, those shows, I'm not, even though I participated, I'm not always, when I do those shows, when I did those shows, I wasn't always really forthcoming with a lot of information because I think law enforcement officers and, and as a whole, we, it's not really law enforcement officers, but it's administrators, I believe, as a whole. They do a lot of, it's so funny how they're very open to how we caught somebody and they'll get all the secrets away. Oh, we got cell phone pings. Oh, we got, you know, we got DNA. Oh, we got, all these things that, yes, they're public record when it goes to trial. However, we broadcast these things as administrators is what they would do. But when it comes to being completely transparent about policies and procedures, about how you deal with the public, then we, then all of a sudden it's like shut down. Like, no, no, we don't want to really talk about those things. We don't want to talk about that. We just want to talk about how we caught somebody. So, but, so those shows, I'm not, I wasn't really forthcoming with how we did things. And uh, it's not what I'm saying, how we investigated, because I don't want to give a bunch of investigative tips away for bad, you know, for people who are criminals, who actually prey on people, predators, to say, wow, okay, I'm going to try this next time because this is how they caught this person on the show. Uh, so I, I think that there's, we have to be very cautious whenever, um, whenever those shows are, are produced because they, they do give a lot of, um, they give a lot of insight for criminals to say, okay, well, okay, well, definitely I won't bring my cell phone with me when I, when I kill somebody because they can ping it and find out where I'm going to be uh, or something like that. Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few podcasts that I've listened to where they are interviewing detectives that have worked on cases. Um, a podcast called Cold was really good where they got to certain points and they're like, and from this point, I can't tell you anything because we have procedures that we do not make public at all. But let me just say that what we did, we were able to accomplish X, Y, and Z, which is very smart of them to not divulge how they got there, but just the fact that they did get there using whatever they needed to for that situation. I think, I think that goes back to, I think, the true cops who understand that that information probably doesn't need to be shared uh, because it's not it's not that we're holding withholding anything from the public. We're just trying to make sure that we we keep those those special things that we do uh, that are within you know within the law to catch a bad person to catch a criminal. Those are still intact and, and are used later on. Yeah. But I, I really believe sometimes administrators because they're in positions of other you know, political positions that they they would brag on these things. At least that's from my my understanding, but also what I saw personally. A lot of administrators would uh, would talk about things, and, and some of these administrators have never even been cops in the first place, or they never were cop very long, or they didn't do homicide investigations. I mean, I can count, uh, you know, I can count on all my fingers and toes all the people that that are you know put in positions of of, uh, of authority within law enforcement agencies who've never actually done the job, and so they're making these decisions and, and they're saying these things, and they're like, wait, I mean, like, hold up a second, this is not good for either side. Yeah. But, Let's go back to film <laughs> where we started. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about all of that. Um, oh, you're good. It's my fault. <laughs> so circling back to Godzilla King of Monsters, you worked on that for quite a few months. And during those months, you had to work 
quote-unquote in different locations. So, like, some of the scenes were in the snow, some of the scenes were in, quote-unquote, Boston, where you were made to think they were Boston. Um, tell us a little bit about working with green screens and having to work with... Um, we didn't have an actual Godzilla at any point in time on our set, so what it was like to work with nothing in front of you or a tennis ball. <laughs> that was interesting, and I tell you what, that to, I really have to give credit to people like Charles Dance and, and to Vera Flaminga and to... Um, Millie Bobby Brown and Kyle Chandler and all the other actors who actually had to have those experiences and, and, and go back and forth when they're looking at a balloon or just looking at a blank screen or looking at a tennis ball. And, I, and really, I think that to, to really give credit to Cliff, the, the, the AD, assistant director, uh, he did such a, a wonderful job. I believe Cliff worked on a lot of the Harry Potter, uh, the Harry Potter movies. Uh, but, but he was instrumental in kind of setting the tone because he would kind of talk uh, I don't know if you recall but he would he would kind of talk to the actors like this is what's happening now this is what's going to happen this is happening now this is where you're going and he would try to trigger some of the emotions and some of the, the facial expressions uh, of the actors who yeah. were involved and just it was it was really interesting to see that you know right we didn't have a Godzilla we didn't even have a picture of Godzilla it was Oral Mothra it was a balloon and so for the temple scene with Mothra's temple, that was just a balloon that came on. And to to watch uh, the actors have to respond to that, and I mean we responded as well, but to but we our faces weren't on camera as much as, as the main main characters. And it was just uh, it was very you know a lot of you'll hear a lot of actors say it's more reaction than it's uh, acting, but I think they they did a good job of, of really trying to portray where they were at that time. I think the movie represents that very, very well. And then after Godzilla King of Monsters, you worked on Stranger Things for a little bit um, as a security guard. What was it like working on one of the, if not the, largest Netflix series ever? <laughs> that was that was cool. It was neat to to be one of the Russian guards uh, that that series, and it's um, it, it was that was fun as well. I mean, the mall scene that they had, we were. We were there at the mall, and they took a mall in Atlanta, and they completely converted it to 80s. And so when we were in that mall, they had the Kodak shop. I mean, everything that they saw, that was that was, that was a set, but it was an actual mall that they converted to 80s themes, uh, down to the lights, down to the different stores that were there. So they did really, really did a good job uh, on, on, that, on that set. But that was fun. It was um, very, it was, it was a good it's fun. But the sad part for me, of course, I'm selfish about this, but I mean, some of the scenes in Godzilla were cut out, were, and then some of the scenes in Stranger Things were cut out where, you know, we got to do some more talking because we were Russian, so we got to speak some things in Russian, which was which was fun. I wish that had been uh, put on um, what would have been available, but unfortunately, you know, things get cut on the editing floor, and, uh, but it was still, it was still a great experience, and it just was, you know, every set that you go on, and you know, because you work in the industry for so long, I mean, every set is different, and every, uh, it's got a different feel for every set, and you just kind of you know, you know your role and you do what you're told, and you just kind of observe. At least I do. I, I observe and just kind of take it in for what it's worth. And so you got to speak Russian for Stranger Things. Is that did I hear that correctly? <laughs> I, I, I did for the audition. Uh, I okay. Didn't get, uh, and then the lines that we had were given. There was another actor who was who was going to speak the Russian. Uh, that I thought, you know, when I, when I was I mean, obviously when you get a contract and say, hey, listen, you're going to be a Russian guard and be prepared for these lines. And so you prepare yourself. And then, and then obviously, either they say yes or they say no. Whenever, <laughs> you know, so I so they gave it to uh, 
sure you prepare yourself to be ready for it, just to play just in case that you're called on, called upon. But you also have to be prepared to say, okay, uh, well, I guess it's not, not they're not asking me to do it, or or they or you do do it, and then they cut it out in editing. And I think that um, I think that a lot of actors will say that a lot of their their best work uh, was left in the editing floor. I mean, especially co-stars or people who who are are principals. Maybe they're not. And I, I say this because I can only speak on my behalf. Is that is that it, you have to have a perfect take every time because you're not the star. Yeah. And I'm not a star. I mean, I, I and, and the stars can. And you, I don't know if you were on set, but the stars can mess up. They have a lot of lines to learn. They can mess up. They can screw up. And and really because they're the star, the editing is going to take their best take. So you've got to make sure that your take is is great every time because if they take the they're going to take the star's best take, but if your best take is on the same side of the star take best take, you're, you're going to look bad on camera. <laughs> you're going to look bad on film. So you have to make sure that you're on your A game for every single take and not take any takes off, regardless of what the star's doing. Because you want to make sure, one, you're giving them what they need, but at the same time, you want to make sure that uh, when editing comes, that your, your takes are, are you've got some good meaty takes. So let's go ahead and get things wrapped up here. Um, thank you again for hanging out with us, Zach. It's been such a pleasure catching up with you. It's been a couple of years. Oh, wow. Yeah, at least two years, I think, since we've talked. Last time we talked was the release of Godzilla King of Monsters, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Last time we saw each other up in Atlanta for the premiere, so that was, uh, that was fun. But yeah, it's been a while, but I'm glad we got the chance to catch up. Yeah, me too. And thank you guests and listeners again for tuning in and listening to us. And we will see you again next week on another wonderful episode of The Above Average Joe Show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you again to our special guest, Zach Zadalis. Be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitters, and look us up on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can also check out another podcast I co-host, The Extra Unordinary, and other great media content by Moon Possum Productions at moonpossum.com.